0: Our passage this morning is Malachi, chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. Uh, You can find that on page 802 in the Black Bibles there in your pews, if you'd like to use those. Uh, We've been reading from this prophet to God's people. They've returned from exile, and yet it's not as glorious, it's not as rich, it's not as safe and prosperous as they expected. They've been doubting God's love, but God's been pointing out the realities of what's in their hearts. And so we continue this morning, let's attend to God's word, Malachi 3, 6 through 12. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we have heard your word read aloud. We want to continue to hear you speaking to us in these moments as we reflect on your word. I ask, Lord, that what I have for your people this morning would be according to your will, and for the help of your people, With all that falls short be quickly forgotten and fade away. Meet us in this time for your glory, and for our help we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. As we come to unpack what God's word has to say for us this morning, I want to talk uh, for a moment about the McGurk effect. Uh, It's probably not something that you talk about on a regular basis, but perhaps you've seen these videos online where what you see impacts what you hear. Where a series of sounds will be played and there will be words on the screen and you'll hear those words. And then the same sounds with a different set of words appears on the screen and then you uh, hear those words being said. That what we see and what's in front of us, our context can affect how we interpret the sounds or what we hear. Why do I bring that up this morning? Because what you see or your context might shape what you hear this morning. And so I wanna address what's in front of us this morning as we are gathered in an American church in 2023 First of all, it's November. We're coming towards the end of the year. We are looking ahead to the holidays, which is a great time, but it's an expensive time. November for churches is often getting close to the end of the year where they start asking questions about their church budget. And will we meet church budget? And it's not just November, it's 2023. It's been a hard year financially for lots of people, maybe some in this room, or if not for yourselves, you know of churches or people who have been struggling. And we're in the American church, a church in which often uh, the gospel has been connected to our personal prosperity, where some of these very verses have been the basis for ministries to accumulate wealth. So with those things in front of you this morning, you might be tempted to hear, Pastor Ian is going to tell us that we better start tithing if we want to enjoy the Lord's blessing. In fact, secretly, the church might be hurting financially, so that's what we better do this morning. You might not intend that, but I would understand if that's what you hear this morning. And so I want to say clearly this morning that, that while this passage addresses the tithe, that that first of all, I think scripture is clear that this is connected to the Old Testament sacrificial system. So this is no longer binding on God's people, instead we're called to give generously to the work of the church, to the care of widows and orphans and the needy to care for our brothers and sisters. But this passage is not about giving money. Today's passage is a call of a faithful God to a wayward people urging them to come back, to repent, to correct the path that they are on so that they will experience blessing. The symptom here is expressed in their lack of contribution to the temple and the sacrifices and the needs of the Levitical priests, but the disease is the distance between them and God. Now to start here, there has to be a reckoning with the fact that there is a distance to begin with and who created that distance? One of the things that the book of Malachi addresses is this disagreement about where this distance has come from, this disconcerting change in relationship. and You might know how this happens sometimes or have experiences where there's a change in relationship that that makes you question, well who's moving? One of the ways I've experienced this in in the most uh, guttural way has been when I've been in a car wash. And, and when I started driving moving from stick to an automatic car and, and suddenly sitting there and I'm questioning as the rollers are moving one way I'm beginning to think is my car rolling back the other way? And I slam my foot on the brake just to make sure. Or perhaps you've been distracted at a red light And the car next to you begins to inch forward, and you panic, as I have, and said, Am I rolling backwards into the car behind me and hit the brake? There's an acknowledgement that there's movement, there's an acknowledgement that distance, but the question is, who's moving? And God's people have been prone to think, Well, it's God. That the temple isn't as glorious as they had expected, that the visible uh, experience of his presence is lacking that the nations are continuing to lord it over there. And so they're saying, God, have you been pulling away from us? Israel has been acting like it's God, like he's wandered off or he's changed throughout the letter. They've expressed this in their whispers and their groans. But as God makes it clear at the opening of this passage, I, the Lord, do not change. Now, on one hand, that's what we would say is ontologically true. And ontology has to do with the nature of something, the being of something. God's nature does not change. He is eternal. And while that is absolutely true, more so this passage is is not so much talking about his being, but about the relationship with him and his covenant people. That he has not changed in his... position towards his people, and his love for his people, his care for his people. What has changed has been their relationship to him. The people have changed. They have wandered off, and this is the basis for the call in verse 7, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. God's people are wandering. They've been wayward, and God, through his messenger Malachi, says, come back come back to me. And you will experience the enjoyment of my returned presence with you. As we hear Malachi speak to the people and perhaps through the spirit to us this morning to come back to God, I'm going to answer some questions about what that looks like. First of all, who are we coming back to? Who is the God telling his people to come back to him? Why do we need to come back? Where are we coming back from. How do we come back? And then what happens when we come back? This is the story unpacked. This is the story predicted and presented to the people. There is a distance. What is the option to come back? What does that look like? What's going to happen? And that's what we'll examine this morning. First through the question, who are we coming back to? And what we see in this passage as Malachi speaks on behalf of the Lord, that the person they are called to come back to is a God of covenant faithfulness and mercy a patient God notice what verse 6 says as the passage opens for I the Lord do not change the basis of what he's about to say is his unchanging covenant love towards his people therefore you O children of Jacob are not consumed It is because of who God is that the children of Jacob are not consumed, because he has made promises to their forefathers, because he has said, I am a God of steadfast love and faithfulness, because he has declared that he is a God who forgives iniquity to those who are repentant to thousands of generations because of who he is, despite the fact that they are robbing him, despite the fact that they're taking what belongs to him, they are not destroyed. Now now consider their standing. The fact that God has not consumed them. These are a people accused of robbing God. In those days and ages, theft would incur severe penalties and even more severe penalties in reality among the nations that surrounded God's people. And who are they accused of robbing? Not, not their enemy, not their neighbor, but from the very God who made them. Notice how verse 9 puts it. Will man rob God? Excuse me, verse 8. Will man rob God? It, we might miss a word play there because it uses the word for man, Adam, which Adam gets his name. Because where was Adam made from? Where was he formed from? From the dust. Will dust rob the Creator God and yet in the face of this obscene crime God says you are not consumed because despite what you have done despite your change and your straying and your waywardness from me I remain steadfast because he has made covenant promises to be the God of Abraham and his children after him to bless them and through them the nations God has not destroyed them. He has had mercy and shown patience. And now he invites them to come back. Not only has he not destroyed them, but as they have rebelled against him, as they have taken what is his, he still wants them back. He still invites the return. We might understand, okay, he he shows some mercy he doesn't take out his anger or his wrath. They've done this horrible thing, and he's just staying his hand from punishing them like they deserve. And we would understand, like, I would want nothing to do with such a people ever again. But even in the midst of their rebellion and patience, his love is demonstrated when he says, Come back to me so that I can return to you, so that we can enjoy reunion and fellowship. This is one of the things that the church gets to do when people wander whether wandering away from the church for various reasons who are no longer present one of the ways that we can most show god's love and character is by not writing them off not forgetting them but just checking in just by saying we'd love to see you again would you be open to coming back because it says that not only do we notice their absence, but we desire their presence, as God acknowledges the absence and the rebellion and yet still wants his people back. This is the God that Israel wandered from. This is the God that we are prone to wander from, or perhaps you have turned from, or never even known. A God who is so committed to bless, according to his covenant love, that he will withhold the judgment of destruction, do a wayward and rebellious people until he brings restoration and healing. This is the God who invites you and me to come back when we fall into sin. A God who already shows us mercy and patience. How much more can we expect in coming back to him in humble repentance to find him gracious and forgiving? Which brings up the question of, why do we need to come back in the passage we see that we need to come back because we are those who wander because we are prone to wander that God's people have wandered because they come from a long line of people that wander it's one of those inherited traits God describes them as the children of Jacob remember Jacob is Abraham's grandson and he received the name of the nation Israel and yet his name had to do with the fact that he was considered a bit of a cheat and so the word here that's used for robbing God sounds very much like the word to steal and the word to cheat from Jacob so it's kind of like saying oh children of rob Why do you rob God? This is not something new. This has been something that has been happening a long time. And how has that looked? Well, as he says, return to me and I will return to you. Why? Because verse 7 says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. First of all, they've started by discounting the importance of what God has said. Before there's the disobedience, there's the discounting of the importance. There's the discounting of God's instruction to them. And as they've discounted them, then they've not kept them. Perhaps you can understand what this looks like when when you give advice to someone and they don't take it. Now, if it's advice about what tie to wear with what suit jacket, you may not feel too bad if they go with another fashion choice. But if someone's going through something deep and difficult and you give them advice that you think is for their good and they don't take it, you can feel like, well, what's wrong with me? Or parents to their children or teachers to their students that at some point it's not just the very issue of disregarding the instruction but the disregarding of the authority behind that instruction you see the issue is not you are not tithing the heart of the issue is you have turned from me that's reflected in you not paying attention to my word which has led to your disobedience The lack of tithing is serious. But why don't they see it? Because they have discounted God as a giver to begin with. They have discounted him as central to life, as the right recipient of their worship. And so the disobedience goes by barely noticed. When God says, return to me, they're like, how? Why do we need to return to you? We're we're right with you, God. Well, because you're robbing me. How have we robbed you? They don't even see it. But if they were attentive to God and his word, they would want to obey. And the lack of obedience to the command of tithing or any of the other commands that this book has addressed would have been addressed in the community. They wouldn't say, how have we robbed you? But would respond instead with God, forgive us, have mercy. The basis for the distance, the need to come back is on them and their waywardness and their sinfulness. But why should they come back to God? Why not stay where they're at? Now, maybe that seems like a strange question for a pastor to ask. Why should they repent and come back to God? But it's one that many of us ask, that there are many friends and family members we know who who might say, yeah, there might be a God, but I'm not interested in church, or I'm not interested in becoming a Christian. I'm, I'm good where I'm at. There's lots of reasons that why that might be, but I think one of them is they have not truly understood who God is and who they are, but also where they're truly at in the moment because sometimes things appear good that don't last for long. The answer to the question is where are we coming back from is a place of diminished and wasted blessing. Where are these people coming back from? In the big sense, they're coming back from exile. God's people had disobeyed, they had fallen into idolatry, and so they were delivered into captivity by their enemies. And, and they've come back, at least in part. They've come back to the land. The question is, have they come back in their hearts to God? They lost their blessings, pursuing the blessing of worshiping other gods. God has restored them to the land, but since they have come back, they have withheld and misspent the blessings that they do have. Earlier in the life of the people that returned, the prophet Haggai spoke to them. This was before the temple had been rebuilt. And in Haggai 1.4, it says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? You notice the priorities there. It's not only that the people have homes, it's not like God is saying, I begrudge you a place of shelter and safety, but he's talking about paneled homes this is not only buying your fixer-upper, but then spending tens of thousands of dollars to make it into your dream home before ever contributing to the center of the life and prosperity and peace of the people, the house of the Lord, where they're to come into the presence of the living God. They have misspent their blessings on themselves while missing the central thing. Instead of investing what blessing God had given them in worship, in right relationship with Him, in fixing what led them to exile in the first place, disobedience and idolatry. They spend it on themselves, and it hasn't turned out well for them. The crops are struggling. The temple is inglorious. The nations lord it over them. There is fighting and competition and theft. Divorce is rampant in the community. The blessings they have spent on themselves, they tried to collect themselves, but they're diminished and wasted because when we walk away from God, when we misuse his blessings, there's a curse. Here that curse is described as the lack of growth. Their crops are not growing. They're subject to the devourer. Probably locusts and other pests are coming in. Not only are the crops uh, meager, but what little there is is quickly eaten up. Haggai 1.6, just a few verses later from what I just read, said, you have sown much and harvested little, You eat, but you have never enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. This is what happens when instead of enjoying relationship or coming back to the God who blessed us and made us for blessing, trying to take those blessings and invest them for our own purposes apart from how God intended. You notice this image of, of putting their wages into a bag without holes. It, it's like when, as a college student, I had a, bought a new car. This was the first car that I had bought for myself and was excited to have, and yet not having a lot of money, I needed an oil change. And so I found the cheapest place I could find for an oil change. Was very happy that I was being frugal and smart with my money, until an hour after I Uh, left that place and I was driving down the highway in six lanes of traffic and my car would not go in gear because they had not put the oil cap back into the oil drain plug and so I had no oil in my engine and so not only had my engine begun to give out on me on the road but I was out the money of the damage to my engine. We try to save ourselves. God, God I don't have enough time or energy to serve you or or I need this for myself or life would be more enjoyable if I did this my way with the thought that we're saving up we're building up for ourselves when what we're leading to is destruction and diminishment. Whether it's using our money outside of our role to be stewards of the fact that our money is God's or whether it's seeking sexual pleasure outside of God's design for the intimacy of committed marriage, or giving ourselves over to work outside of our call to glorify God, or we seek to use authority without first submitting to God's authority. That in all those areas, it can only get us so far, and in the end leaves us depleted and grasping for diminishing returns. Is the place we have found ourselves in doing things our own way, is it really blessed? Is it really secure? Is it really comfortable? Is it really good? Is it better than the blessings that God offers in the way that he offers them? And if you're feeling, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your work, maybe in your parenting somewhere, some level of discontent where you are seeking to use what God has given you for your own purposes, and you wonder, is there a way back? God provides that. How do we get back? How do we come back? God makes it clear, return to me and I will return to you. That word return, translated from the Hebrew word, can mean to turn, simply to go from one direction to another, to turn back, to come back, or repent. The idea of repentance is to turn from what is wrong and to turn to what is good. To turn from sin and to turn to God. John the Baptist's words to the crowds when they came to him asking him what they should be doing said, he said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That is a changed heart that has been reoriented from what's wrong to what is good will then seek to live according to the good. Here it is moving from selfishness to contributing the tithe as a fruit of faith and trust in the Lord. The fruit of repentance here is the contributions to the worship because what it will be evidence of is that they have turned from seeking their own way to God. Notice in the passage what God says here. In verse 10, he says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. That is, their contributions were supposed to provide for the Levites and for the priests so that they could be about the work of serving God. But then it says this, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Now, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, and you hear the word test, you would say, God says, don't put me to the test. God's people have gotten in big trouble in the past when they put God to the test. Well, well, first of all, this is a different word for test. The other word is to say, is basically to say, God, prove yourself to us. This is rather... And see. What he's saying is, test me, not by demanding something from me, but by giving yourself to me. By showing your trust and dependence on me, by contributing to the work of the sacrificial system and the temple, you will be evidencing your dependence and love and trust in me, and you will see my goodness, my blessing, Here and afresh, we are reminded of God's gracious character because we like our sin. We are prone to deny our sin and even often when it is exposed, we cling to it. So what does God say? You figure it out. Find your way back to me. I'll be here when you get it back together. No, God exposes our sin for us by sending his prophets. He sends his spirit accompanying the word to convict us. His spirit having turned hearts of stone to flesh so that the prick of conscience might be felt and responded to. The very possibility to turn back, the opportunity to come back, and the ability to come back, God supplies. God responds to us like hikers lost in the wilderness who have gotten off the track and who have depleted their resources and so they're not only lost, they're emaciated, they're tired and they're weak and God comes looking, calling out to us say, you're not here, I want you back. He lays out the path for a return when we don't know how to get back to him and then carries us home when we turn to him and respond to his call this is how we come back. But what will we find when we come back? Sometimes when we go home, if we don't live where we grew up, we wonder what it will be like to come home. Well the hint is first found in verse uh, six, for I the Lord do not change. If God is God who has covenanted to bless his people, who has withheld judgment upon his people, who is asking them to come back to him, should they expect distance? Should they expect the cold shoulder? Should they expect a less than? Now, what will happen when they come back is blessing. God's promise that he will open the floodgates of heaven, that he will pour the rain upon the earth so that it will produce abundantly. That he will destroy the devourer so that they won't take what grows is a demonstration of God's commitment to bless. That God will not say, you know what, you wandered from me in the past, I'm going to put you on a short leash. God says, come back to me and see how blessed you will be for I am a generous God prone to bless. Coming back brings us to the enjoyment of God's fruitfulness, to the joy of fellowship with God, to enjoy the particular protection that He bestows on His people. When we turn to God, trusting in Jesus who died for our sins, we never need fear judgment. We never need fear repudiation. Instead, we inherit the world. We inherit life everlasting and protection against the destroyer, even death and the devil cannot take away the blessing that God has given us in Christ. But it's not just blessing for us, but God who asks us to come back, who blesses us when we return to him in repentance and faith and obedience, not only blesses us, but through us blesses others. Notice what verse 12 says, then all the nations will call you blessed, then the nations will your enemies, those who don't worship me, will see in you a nation blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And this has always been the mission of God's people, to experience the blessing of knowing God, to enjoy that blessing, so that the rest of the world might see that blessing and say, who is the God of Israel? That they would experience such delight and blessing. First, there is the recognition of the blessing, but through that recognition is the implicit invitation to join in that blessing, to find the source of that blessing, who is the Lord who made us, the Lord Lord who, though we have wandered away from Him, offers through repentance and faith, reconciliation and restoration. There is a blessed welcome we receive when we come back to God. It's Veterans Day weekend. Perhaps you've been at the airport when servicemen and women return from deployment. You might notice some balloons by the gate or a bunch of people maybe wearing badges or dressed a certain way standing by the gates. Or, or what you hear is, is applause when they come off as weary men and women return home after deployment. And there is in that moment a great blessing of welcome. But, but notice what happens, it's not just the family members or uh, fellow servicemen and women, it's usually a crowd who gathers because they want to know, they want to participate in that welcome. And that is the welcome that is offered, the blessing of reunion offered to men and women who have gone overseas willingly to serve, how much more profound is the reality that this is the way that God welcomes those who not went out in service, not went out in obedience, not went out to do his will, but went out in rebellion and selfishness, and yet he welcomes us in that way. That's the God I want to come back to. What we see in Malachi 3 is not a call, be rich by giving me 10%. What we see is a call to be rich because God is a God of blessing who invites us to come back to him. And if you have struggled in any way to follow along with what Malachi 3, 6 through 12 was saying this morning or what I'm saying, then let me draw your attention to Luke 15, you don't need to flip over there, but this is the familiar story of the prodigal son. It is the same story because our same gospel is found in Malachi and through the words of Christ. For what's the situation? The younger son goes to the father and says, I want what's mine. I want the inheritance. Only problem is he is not the one that made the money. It's his father's money. He has no right to the money until his father passes away. He essentially robs the father and takes what doesn't belong to him and goes off to a distant land. And what does he do with that blessing, those riches that his father was the source of. Does he invest it in a successful company? Does he enjoy great fame and prosperity? He squanders it in things that are temporarily delightful, temporarily enjoyable, but he ends up squandering it. He comes to the realization, maybe I can come back. Maybe there's some way that my father will receive me back. And when he comes back, having hit this desperate low point, what does he find when he comes back? He finds a father that runs out to him, not to make him less than as a servant, but welcomes him back as his returned son, and then throws a party, and he kills a fattened calf. And if you haven't bought a whole cow before, let me tell you, that is a lot of meat. This is not a meal for a family of five. It's not a meal for a household of 10, this is a block party into which all are invited to come and celebrate the blessed good news that the son has come back. That is the story that God is conveying through his prophet Malachi to his people who have wandered, who had disobeyed, come back and receive my blessings. And the last thing I wanna say this morning is, perhaps you're sitting here saying, Have I wondered? I give a lot of money to to this church or others. I keep the law. I'm a good person. Because the other part of the story of the prodigal son is is the older son. And he comes to the father and says, where's my party? the father said, all that I have is yours, but yours but to simply ask that the older son had not departed by taking the money and running off to a foreign nation and spending it on all kinds of things that were wrong and sinful, but he had done the same thing. He had believed that God had not, that his father did not love him and did not seek his blessing and had grown distant in his heart. Whether you are outwardly looking good and distant in your heart, or you've advertised for the world to see that you are running from God, know this morning that he's calling you to come back that he wants you to come back and that when you do you will experience blessing and welcome not only for yourself but for the world to join in celebrating with you let's pray lord thank you that you call us back that you send your messengers to call us back that you send your spirit to help us hear that call and respond, and that when we come back, we have the blessing of knowing you, the promise of eternal life, of provision and protection for all eternity. Would we respond to that call? As those who have responded, would we share that call with those who are wandering and wayward to hear the call of the Father saying, come back to me. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.